You may know Max Blumenthal, one of the sharpest young journalists around, from his appearances on Rachel Maddow or Keith Overman or from Democracy Now. Max has written a book of ferocious revelation called Republican Gomorrah. He'll be talking about it on Tuesday, September 29th at 7.30 p.m. It's a KPFA benefit at the First Congregational Church of Berkeley, 2345 Channing Way at Dana. It's wheelchair accessible. Tickets are at brownpapertickets.com. Full info is on our KPFA website. And you are listening to KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley, KPFB in Berkeley, and KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. I'm Mitch Chesarich coming to you from downtown Berkeley in our downtown studios of KPFA, and it is currently one minute after three. You could still call in. We had quite a few calls in that last segment, uh, wanting the George Lakoff book and speech. Our number is 1-800-439-5732, 1-800-439-5732. If you tried to get through earlier but had difficulty doing so, all our lines are now open. You can still get through. Help us make our goal, 1-800-439-5732. Now we're going to turn our attention to the late senator from Massachusetts, Ted Kennedy, who died on August 25th, 2009, at his home in Hyannisport, Massachusetts. In May of 2008, Kennedy was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor, which limited his appearances in the Senate before his death. Ted Kennedy uh, was a senator from Massachusetts, and he was a member of the Democratic Party. First elected in November of 1962, he was elected nine times and served for 46 years in the U.S. Senate. At the time of his death, he was the second most senior member of the Senate and the third longest serving senator in U.S. history. I recently got an opportunity to speak with Peter Canellos of the Boston Globe. He's the editor of a new book, Last Lion, The Fall and Rise of Ted Kennedy. Joining me now is Peter Canellos. He is the editor of the editorial page for the Boston Globe. He's also the former Washington bureau chief. He has overseen all coverage for the paper on the national political scene where he has worked since 1988. He is the editor of a new book that has been written by a team of reporters at the Boston Globe titled Last Lion, The Fall and Rise of Ted Kennedy. Peter Canellos, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, let me begin. Uh, do you think we're going to see a what people call "quote unquote" caretaker uh, take over Kennedy's seat until the special election happens early next year? I, I think we ultimately will. They're uh, wrangling as we speak in the Massachusetts legislature uh, over this, but um, but I think that ultimately uh, they'll decide and probably decide fairly quickly. So. So I do think that we'll see a caretaker senator in and uh, avoid what would have been a, uh, you know, a, a terrible irony, which is that, uh, you know, healthcare legislation would be jeopardized because of Kennedy's death. Uh, Kennedy being the, you know, leading champion of healthcare legislation. 
so uh, it's important for Massachusetts to get that seat filled, and uh, I think they will. Well, Ted Kennedy has been a lifelong proponent for health care reform. Do you think that his absence, even when he was uh, ill and, and not on Capitol Hill very often, actually had an effect over this health care debate? I think it's had a big effect. I think that, um, you know, many people out there in the country sort of know of Kennedy as the, you know, crusader in favor of this health care legislation. What they don't know as much is that behind the scenes, he was also sort of the master negotiator. So all of the negotiating and compromising that people see going on on Capitol Hill right now is... Um, you know something that that uh, that Kennedy would be able to take advantage of uh use his, his skills calling his chits and essentially get a an agreement that was probably closer to what he wanted than the agreement otherwise would be and so having him gone um you know, clearly uh, limits the the chance of a sweeping bill. You think uh, Max Baucus's bill would look any different if Kennedy was around? Well, Kennedy and Baucus had uh, some agreements going in, and so yeah. it's hard to know uh, whether this bill, now that Kennedy has died, whether this bill, uh, you know, in any way would have um, violated those agreements, or uh, Kennedy would have been able to prevail on Baucus to change the bill slightly. Uh, I think it was expected, though, all along that you know Baucus's bill would be more moderate and the bill coming out of Kennedy's committee uh, now chaired by Tom Harkin uh, would be uh, you know one that would would have more uh, you know more expansive reforms and then then they would have to reconcile the two now your book last lion the fall and rise of Ted Kennedy you edited the book and it was written by a team of reporters at the Boston Globe in it you go through Ted Kennedy's entire life I want to talk about his time in the Senate with you and what I actually would like to begin is looking at his time uh, with Richard Nixon. When Richard Nixon was elected into office, it was the first time Kennedy as a senator had to deal with a a Republican senator or a Republican president. What was that relationship like? I think the relationship between Nixon and the Kennedys was uh, fraught and complicated. Uh, You know, obviously Nixon had run against uh, Jack Kennedy in in 1960 and lost narrowly. You know, Nixon kind of admired the Kennedys because of their charisma and skill at politics and, you know, in some ways felt very uh, envious of them. Uh, He also feared Ted Kennedy as a potential opponent in 1972. So there was a great deal of distrust, but there was also a certain amount of admiration in there. And there, and people tend to forget there had also been some positive uh, connections between uh, old Joe Kennedy, Ted's father, and, and Nixon back in the 50s when Nixon was vice president. So um, I, I think that uh, they were deeply wary of one another, and uh, it, you know Nixon was terrified at the idea that uh, that Ted Kennedy would run in 1972 and and defeat him. You know, on the other hand, uh, Nixon was not the kind of doctrinaire conservative that some later presidents were, and um, uh, was more of a mindset to try to compromise with Kennedy. And if anything, at that stage, Kennedy was less of a compromiser than he was later in his career, less willing to make a deal. And and so Kennedy would have been sort of the obstacle to coming to agreement on, on some of these issues, particularly involving health care. Well, health care was interesting. In 1974, in the State of the Union address, President Nixon did promote a health care plan. Uh, it, it was a plan that didn't look entirely different, from, from my understanding, from what is being talked about today in Congress, uh, yet 
uh, Ted Kennedy and the AFL-CIO and, and others are somewhat credited with helping thwart that plan. Yeah, I mean there were several different health initiatives during the during the Nixon years. You know, one of them actually set the uh, you know, groundwork for for HMOs, and um, that that was probably not the one that Kennedy would have uh, regretted not not agreeing to. The one that he would would have um, uh, regretted, and he did regret, was not joining Nixon in a call for universal uh, health insurance. Um, you know, through the private sector, uh, based on you know government regulation and. And government subsidies. You know, at the time, Kennedy wanted a much more sweeping plan and much more government involvement and control than Nixon did, and and rejected Nixon's plan as insufficient. Um, what Kennedy told our reporters later on, late in his life, is that he he learned that in Congress, once you make a commitment, um, you can then go back and correct the imperfections. So if he had said yes back in the early 70s, and there had been, Congress had promised universal health care, then he was pretty confident that, you know, Nixon's plan of working through private insurers would have been problematic, but there would have been many opportunities over the next three decades for them to, you know, go back and and change the regulations or, you know, fine-tune the system or maybe even add, you know, a public option or something. And he, he regretted not having gone for it back then. So I think if he were... If he were here now uh, participating in the debate, uh, he would probably say to the progressives who are holding out for public option that that's a fine thing to do, but in the end, don't allow your desire for a public option to mean that you know nothing gets passed. It, you know, it's far better to pass a system that lacks a public option, but 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 uh, states the commitment of uh, universal care, uh, and you know later on in succeeding years you can go back and get that public option. Well, that's interesting. So you think if Ted Kennedy were still uh, in the Senate and and active in the debate, he may not be one of those lawmakers to draw a line in the sand over the public option. Not he he never he never drew a line in the sand in quite that way. I mean, he would be the first one who would be standing up. Uh, making the case for a public option. Yeah. He would be the first one explaining why every compromise plan um, falls short. But in the absolute final analysis with his, you know, learned sense of how the Senate works and his deep knowledge of his colleagues, when he assessed the lay of the land and realized that a public option wasn't going to go through, he, he wouldn't go down in flames over it. He would compromise at the last second, get something through that, you know, he would acknowledge was imperfect and, and build towards improving it. You know, go to work the next, very next morning trying to improve it. Well, interestingly enough, health care remained a, a, an important issue. And after the 1980 presidential campaigns in which he unsuccessfully ran against Jimmy Carter, uh, during his time uh, in the Senate, uh, during the Carter years, health care again was on the table. And he became frustrated with Jimmy Carter over health care. He did, and I, I think it was a very special kind of frustration because Kennedy himself had chosen not to run in 1976. You know, back in 72, it was the first election after the Chappaquiddick incident, and, uh, you know, it was quite reasonable to expect that, you know, things were too politically uh, difficult for him to, to make a run in 72. By 76, the Watergate scandal had sort of occurred and kind of cleansed people's memories of Chappaquiddick, and a lot of Democrats felt like Kennedy was their strongest candidate in 76, and it also was such a strong Democratic year because of dissatisfaction with Watergate and with Nixon and inflation and Ford that um, that it was expected the Democrats would win. Well, 
Kennedy surprised a lot of people by not running. Uh, he said that he did it partly for family reasons with uh, teenage kids, you know, who needed him, uh, his own kids, his nieces and nephews. Um, but it opened the door for Jimmy Carter to become president. And, uh, you know, that was a, you know, one of these periodic kind of high watermarks for the Democratic Party when you had Democratic control of Congress and a Democratic president. And and Kennedy fully expected that Carter would uh, pursue a national health plan. Carter had promised to do so. But it pretty soon became apparent that it wasn't one of Carter's top priorities, and he never really pushed it. And then when uh, the economy turned down, you know, during the Carter years, uh, 1978 or so, you know, Carter really felt like uh, the country couldn't afford it and didn't push it. And so I think, you know, Kennedy felt, first of all, betrayed by Carter, but second of all, uh, angry at himself for not having run and blamed himself for the whole you know fact of the carter presidency and that led him to challenge carter in 1980 we are speaking to peter canellos he is chief editor of the boston globe's editorial page he's also the editor of a new book by the boston globe reporter or by a team of reporters at the boston globe titled last lion the fall and rise of ted kennedy peter canellos uh, last lion what do we mean when we say that <laughs> well, in recent years, uh, as Kennedy got older and became more dominant in the Senate as sort of the the, the true leader of the Democrats, uh, even if he wasn't, uh, he didn't have the title of majority leader, he was the person who drove the legislation and pulled the teams together. You know, some combination of his his dominance in in the Congress, you know, his increasingly leonine appearance, uh, you know, the fact that he'd been there so long and was such a part of the institution, you know, got people to. To, uh, to call him the lion and uh, increasingly the last lion because there, there really isn't anyone who can replace him. Now, uh, Kennedy has been compared to other legendary senators, and one, as an example, would be Daniel Webster, uh, the 18th century senator who, of course, is from Massachusetts as well. Uh, fair comparison? Well, it's a, it's a fair comparison in terms of their fame and impact. It's also a comparison in that, you know, they both were kind of dancing on the edges of the presidency while building, you know, legendary careers in the Senate. So that, that, in that way, it's an appropriate comparison. But, uh, in the early 1800s, when, um, Webster was, was in the Senate, the Senate played a very different function. It wasn't a driver of legislation in quite the same way that it is, uh, now. It was a debating society where you know, great issues kind of were played out in a very, very formal way, and speeches were delivered in the Senate that were then, uh, you know, typed up and sent all around the country, and, you know, senatorial debates were, were covered very, very closely. Um, and Webster was known for, uh, you know, honing his arguments in a, in a particularly eloquent way and, and playing a, a major role in, you know, the events leading up to the Civil War. That's not what Kennedy did, really. I mean, he wasn't, uh, you know, his rhetoric at times was very, very powerful, but he wasn't primarily, you know, a rhetorical senator. He was a hard-working, in-the-trenches legislator, and, you know, his legacy is very tangible. You know, Webster's legacy is, you know, exists in a series of great documents and great moments and great decisions that he was part of. Kennedy's is in, you know, actual money going to real people to combat real problems. So, so there's a bit of an apple and orange aspect to that comparison. And uh, he's, he said that his uh, proudest vote he ever took was the one opposing the Iraq War. 
Well, he certainly uh, worked hard to get other Democrats to oppose the Iraq war, and um, he, he probably succeeded in some cases and failed in, in some other cases, like John Kerry and uh, Hillary Clinton, You know, both of whom at that time he was close to, and he was disappointed that they voted in favor of it. Mm. Um, and I think that uh, you know he also took the lead. It's, it's important to know very early on when people were still largely backing the president and calling Iraq, you know, Bush's Vietnam, and you know, declaring that it had become a quagmire. Um, so, uh, so, so there's no question that he was way out ahead of the Democratic Party generally in in opposing that war. Did did it uh, strain his relationship with John Kerry? I think that John Kerry, um, you know, was particularly dedicated to Kennedy, and and I think he understood very early on that, you know, uh, it was important to him in Massachusetts and in Washington to have a um, close relationship with Kennedy. And so they, you know, by then, after 20 years together in the Senate, they had sort of learned to disagree without there being any real uh, real rancor. Uh, you know, also Kennedy was not somebody who held grudges or, you know, contrived grievances against people. So I think there was a respectful disagreement. And you know, I think that, you know, as we saw during the presidential race in, in 2004, you know, Kerry's own views on Iraq were quite complex and related to his experiences in Vietnam. Kennedy would have re- would have respected that. Um, but, you know, Kerry also may have come around to feel like, uh, you know, Kennedy was right. So, uh, I, I don't think it hurt them over the long term. Well, when we look at the Democratic Party over the last 40 years, there's two families we immediately recognize. That's the Clintons and the Kennedys. When Ted Kennedy put his endorsement to Barack Obama, do you think that was uh, the Kennedys wrestling control of the party away from the Clintons? I don't think that it was that overt. I don't think it was like some Hatfield and McCoy kind of moment there. But I do think that, um, you know, Kennedy's style of liberalism and and belief in, you know, progressive policies um, was was more committed and deeper than the Clintons. And I think he felt that... um, you know, the Clinton style of politics was not precisely his style of politics and that Barack Obama was closer to that style of politics. You know, he very openly said Barack Obama was, reminded him of his brother and, and was the true heir to President Kennedy. Um, you know, Obama is, is much more of a rhetorical uh, uh, politician who sort of states a sort of high-minded goal and, and then uh, tries to get people to work towards it. Uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton were much more strategic in their approach and, and a little bit more centrist in their beliefs. And so uh, I think that, you know, Kennedy honestly felt there was more common ground uh, uh, with Obama. I think also that that was probably a moment when he was remembering um, 1993 and the Clinton failure in health care. And while he never, you know, overtly criticized the Clintons for their approach, I think that he, you know, he felt in later years the sting of that missed opportunity. And um, so in a very substantive way, he probably felt like uh, like Hillary Clinton had, had not handled that well and that that you know that would be a reason to look to somebody else for for leadership peter canellos has been my guest he's the chief editor of the editorial page at the boston globe he's also the editor of a new book called last lion the fall and rise of ted kennedy it's a book that was written by a team of reporters at the boston globe peter canellos thank you so much for your time thank you and that was an interview i conducted early Earlier today, good afternoon everyone, I'm Mitch Jesrich coming to you from the studios of KPFA in downtown Berkeley. It's now about 20 minutes past 3.
It's the fourth day of our 2009 Fall Fun Drive, and so far the Fun Drive has gotten off to a solid start, which uh, after this past year is good news for this radio station, but we still have a ways to go to be able to make our goal, and we're going to do that one phone caller at a time, one person at a time, who is going to stand up and say that they stand with KPFA and Pacifica Radio. I'm very happy we have about 10 minutes right now uh, to be able to offer you, uh, well, how else to say? The memoir by Ted Kennedy. Uh, it was published posthumously. It's called True Compass, a memoir, and it is uh, just out. Uh, you And we're happy to offer it to you for a pledge of $170. It's Ted Kennedy in his own words for your pledge to KPFA. $170. This memoir, Ted Kennedy, True Compass, a memoir is yours. We're also offering the book that we were just talking about, Last Lion, The Fall, the fall and Rise of Ted Kennedy. It's by the team of the Boston Globe. A bunch of Boston Globe reporters put it together, and it was edited by Peter Canellos, who we were just talking to. That is yours for your pledge to KPFA of $140. Our phone number is 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-439-5732. Again, a pledge for $170. Ted Kennedy's newly released memoir, True Compass, is yours for a pledge of $140. Uh, this book, The Last Lion, The Fall and Rise of Ted Kennedy, is yours. Put them together, both of them, a pledge of $285, and we will be sending them both to you. They will make a great Christmas gift or holiday gift uh, for because we still have a few months until we get to uh, late December and we should be able to get these to you in time. 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-439-5732. We have about eight minutes until we head to Free Speech Radio News and get some of the latest in the news today. And uh, Before we do that, we need to try to get 10 people on the lines to give us a call to support this radio station. Now, Ted Kennedy played a major role in passing many laws, including laws that addressed uh, immigration, cancer research, health insurance, apartheid, particularly in South Africa, disability discrimination, AIDS, civil rights, uh, mental health benefits, children's health benefits, education, and volunteering. Kennedy continued his efforts to enact universal health care all the way up to his death. He called health care the cause of his life. And we are offering you his memoir, Ted Kennedy, True Compass, a memoir. It was published posthumously uh, recently, and it's yours for a pledge of $170. We have one call so far. We need about nine more people to go to their phone calls over the next six minutes in order for us to be able to make our goal. 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-439-5732. We're also offering the book by Peter Canelo. So actually, he was the editor of the book. A whole team of Boston Globe reporters uh, put that one together for a pledge of $140. They're very different. One is a memoir. One is a journalistic piece.H, together, $285. 1-800-439-5732. Ted Kennedy was first elected in November of 1962. He was elected in all nine times, and he served for 46 years in the U.S. Senate. At the time of his death, he was the second most senior member of the Senate, just behind Robert Byrd, and he was the third longest-serving senator in U.S. history. 
888-528-5732. As the world's first listener-sponsored radio station, KPFA has blazed a trail through modern American history, giving birth to the Pacifica Radio Network, winning every major award in radio and shaping that medium in this country. We need your support today to keep that work going, and we rely on you for the ability to be able to keep that work going. The hard-hitting news, the public affairs, the arts, the music that sustains us through adversity helps celebrate 60 years of visionary radio from the mother of public broadcasting by joining KPFA now by giving us a call 1-800-439-5732, 1-800-439-5732. Again, a pledge of $170. The posthumously published book of Ted Kennedy's True Compass, a memoir, is yours. For a pledge of $140, The Last Lion, The Rise and Fall of Ted Kennedy, published just three months ago. Uh, we were just speaking to Peter Canellos, who is from the Boston Globe. Uh, he edited that book. It was a team of Boston Globe reporters uh, who wrote The Last Lion. 1-800-439-5732. If you're not interested in these books... But just want to support KPFA. That will also help us get to our goal. Whatever you can afford today will help KPFA to reach its final goal of $750,000, which we need to be able to uh, raise in this fall 2009 fund drive to make sure that we are going to be able to stay on the air through the winter. 1-800-439-5732. Uh, a pledge of uh, $50 goes a long way. A pledge of $35 will ensure that you become a member of KPFA uh, today. It will ensure that in the next election, I'm sure you've heard our carts throughout uh, the last few weeks, election carts, we are currently uh, holding an election, but you can get uh, become a member if you haven't already done so, or you can also renew your subscription. Okay, there's another caller. We need eight more calls in the next four minutes. 1-800-439-5732. one 800 439 5732. These are times in which newspapers are folding and music and culture are disappearing all around us. KPFA matters now more than ever as we've seen the largest street protest by conservatives in U.S. history just last Saturday. We know that we need this one place on the dial to where we can continue to be the antidote to the Glenn Becks, the antidote to the Bill O'Reilly's, the antidotes to the CNN's and Lou Dobbs. 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-439-5732. We're down to our last three and a half minutes. We need about eight more people to go to their calls, one to go to their phones and give us a call. 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-439-5732. This has been so far a positive fun drive, and it's been so good to see. It's been humbling, but it's also been encouraging, knowing that people still care about this radio station and want to make sure that it continues through the winter. And that's what we're trying to do right now, raise the money that's going to get us through the winter. And, you know, we can't turn to anyone but you if we were afraid of offending advertisers, if we had corporate underwriters pulling our strings. If we relied on a couple of large grant makers to provide the bulk of our funding, we wouldn't be the independent station that you rely on. Sixty years ago. KPFA was founded with a commitment creating a mass media outlet whose principal accountability was to the audience that it serves today. There's another call. We now need about six more people to go to their phone and give us a call. Support this radio station. Help us get to our goal of 10 people at this moment supporting this radio station saying, I stand with KPFA. 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-439-5732. I hope that you just won't give for yourself, but pledge for the people who rely on this radio 
station, but perhaps right now can't afford to give as much as you can. Pledge for people who haven't discovered KPFA yet, who are going through the dial and suddenly turn on to 94.1 and realize, especially for those people like myself growing up in a small town in the outskirts of the Bay Area, it opened up a whole new world. It opened up the realization that there was a bigger community out there that was more aligned uh, with some of the thoughts that I had. 1-800-439-5732. We still need about five more people to go to their phones right now. We have two minutes. I hope that you will join the people who are calling in right now. Become a member of KPFA. Uh, 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-439-5732. In these still difficult financial times, your donation to KPFA is really one of the soundest investments that you can make. Not only is it tax deductible to the fullest amount legally allowed, but you are really investing in the future. 1-800-439-5732. We're down to our last 90 seconds. 1-800-439-5732. Every little bit helps. Whatever you can afford right now will help us get to our goal. What our goal is, is to get the 10 calls. We need about five more people to go to their phones right now. 1-800-439-5732. Say that you support KPFA. Say that you support the phone room volunteers who are here in at the station right now ready to take your phone call they're doing what they can by coming to the radio station and donating their time that's what they can do we're hoping you will do what you can do and also honor their effort with your pledge 1-800-439-5732 1-800-439-5732 these are times when kpfa is needed it's a vital resource and solace for people living in in our Northern California and Central Californian community. Your pledge allows those who can't afford to pledge to also have access to the breadth and depth of uh, information that you only hear right now. 30 seconds to go. 1-800-439-5732. 1-800-439-5732. If we could just urge one or two more of you to go to your phones and become a member of KPFA today, that will go so far in making sure that this radio station stays alive and vibrant. I I want to thank everyone for listening and thank you for the people who've called in. You are listening to KPFA in Berkeley, KPFB in Berkeley.